topsail really is a, an expression of mine. And I, you know, I'm, I am learning how to share my love of making charcuterie and, you know, doing, bringing this property to life while also being really honest and transparent that it's a lot. Hello there. If you find yourself looking for a slower way of life, of travels, of connecting to the people and the places around you, you're in good company. Join me, Molly Reese, as I chat with families all across the globe who so graciously welcome the likes of you and me into their homes, onto their land, and about their day-to-day lives. This is Stay in Good Company. Today, we're in great company with Sarah Pike, owner of Topsail Farm, nestled on 83 acres in Midcoast, Maine, where she, along with her crew, provides seasonal food and lodging experiences in a way that allows folks a deeper connection to themselves, their loved ones, and nature. Sarah, welcome to the show. Happy to have you in our company. It's good to be here. Good morning. Now, before we get to know Topsail Farm, where forest, farm, and coast converge, we want to get to know you. Tell us about yourself, your upbringing, your personal passions. Oh, goodness. I love this topic. Um, well, it's, it's funny. My parents actually, I, I joke that they ruined my life and, and moved to Maine um, when I was in the third grade. Um, we were originally from Massachusetts and it had been a dream of theirs um, forever to move to the country. Um, one of six children, um, have a homestead, all of that. And um, so they they pursued their dream and um, bought a farm on 110 acres in a little town called Montville, um, which is about 45 minutes from where Topsail is um, today. And um, I absolutely hated it. I couldn't believe that that was my life. I remember telling them, um, you know, hands on hips, like, this is your dream. This isn't mine. Like, where am I supposed to roller skate? Like all those important things to, uh, you know, a young girl from the suburbs of Massachusetts. Um, so, so really, um, they, they had quickly the farm I grew up on. Um, it really was a family homestead. Um, my parents worked really hard on that land. Um, they did weekly farmers markets. I had early memories of my mother um, picking beet greens, you know, by the headlights of the car after dark. I'm um, just a tremendous amount of pride into the product um, and just the work that went into that. But also would we would wake up to, you know, blueberry buckle on the table in the morning, um, you know, and so there's just, a, it just, it was a really good lesson early on with following your dreams and your passion and seeing, seeing them, um, you know, bring that to life from that property. But as soon as I could, I was out of there um, and, you know, went to college and and lived in uh, really awesome places um, throughout the U.S., but um, happened to meet a Maine boy in college who is now my husband, Josh, and um, yeah, we we have eventually found ourselves back here, but it was, you know, it was a a little bit of a journey um, to get to where we are. Absolutely, and I have to ask, where in the order of the six do you fall? I am the oldest daughter. So, um, yeah. So growing up when we all had, we were all expected to pitch in. Um, and my 
rule. I, I took my first cooking class when I was five years old. I still have the, the cookbook from there. And so um, kind of, you know, as I've gotten older and kind of wondered why I'm here and we'll get to it, I know. Um, but really, I, I just kind of ran the inside of the house. I had free range of the kitchen, um, was constantly cooking, constantly helping, you know, my, my family while everyone was out, you know, getting dirt underneath their fingernails. And so that's where I felt the most at home and was able to really be creative and helpful at the same time. I, I love that. I'm the oldest of four. So while we didn't grow up on a farm, I definitely was the boss of the, yeah. the younger three. Yeah. So I can, I can yeah. relate whether or not they, they like that to this day. <laughs> we'll leave it up to them, but yeah. Now, what is something you learned from your parents and your upbringing that has shaped how you run your business at Topsoil Farm today? You know, I, I think um, I think a lot of it comes to pride and pride in what we're doing and really caring about what we're putting out into the world. Um, so my mother was always like very um, meticulous about how her bee greens were packaged, and 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 it's an expression of yourself, right? And it's expression of the land, um, you know, that they they were nurturing and that we're nurturing. So we've focused so much. Um, we're in our six season or just wrapping up our sixth season this year. And so much has just been poured into that guest experience and, and what that feels like when people come and go from our spot. Absolutely. And so in building Topsail Farm to where it is today, was there a certain point in time that made you want to return to your roots to Maine? I know you have a funny story to share there. <laughs> I'll try to keep it brief, but um, I had started a, um, another venture um, that I was, I think it was probably, you know, eight or nine years in at the point um, where this was starting to percolate. And I had started a food company that I'd really sort of devoted myself to for a long time. And uh, like I had mentioned before, my husband and I, uh, his name is Josh, we're living in Massachusetts and always spending our time in Maine. Um, skiing, recreationally, visiting family. And so it felt like we were constantly driving over the Piscataqua Bridge um, into Maine during our free time. And um, my husband started a company as well. So we're a family of entrepreneurs. And, um, you know, when he would, we would go and visit my mom who has a farm still and is a homesteader and, and puts up all her own food and goes to the grocery store once every eight weeks and, and really is um, a model of self-sufficiency that I really value and respect and want to learn from because I spent my childhood turning my nose up in the air about it all. Um, but Josh, who grew up in Maine, but did not um, live on a farm like I did. So when he would go and visit my mom, we would be driving away and, and just sort of wistfully, oh, we need, we need a farm in Maine. Like, you know, really, you know, she would be talking about her week of burning brush piles and moving sheep fencing and all that stuff. And it's just very grounding to, to, to him, the sound of it. And I said, Oh no, you don't. I've been there, done that. Like, what can you do where we live that really sort of nurtures that spark inside? Right. So we don't need to go and buy a farm in Maine, but like, what are some little things that you can do to nurture that? And so we started talking about that in, in years before he had made, um, he had, 
kind of made wine at home just as a hobby. And we talked about doing that again, because it actually was quite delicious. He has the perfect personality for it. He's very meticulous about everything. And he started making hard cider. And so he just started with a few gallons at home, a small, um, small batches. And that sort of led that little, that little step in that direction led us to, um, I think it was the next year we went and visited my brother who lives um, in true down East Maine and, and Edmonds, um, which is like north of Machias um, near Lubeck. And um, he lives on a farm there. And um, we spent the weekend picking apples, pressing apples, um, making cider, eating with family. And it was at a time with my other business um, where it gotten a little toxic and chaotic for me. And that weekend was just so grounding. And that, that process of working with family, kind of having a shared goal and being outside, being together, sharing food, all of it was just, it was so intoxicating for me. And on the six hour drive home, I said, okay, maybe we do need a farm in Maine. Like I just like felt this very clear desire to create that experience and that feeling more often. And so on that drive home, I, you know, searched on my phone for farms for sale in Maine or something silly like that and came across the listing for Topsail. Um, it had been on the market for two years at the time. Um, I knew about Waldeboro, but I hadn't um, really spent that much time there, even though it was only 45 minutes from where I grew up. And, you know, real sort of fast forward, I think this was like in October of 2016 and I'm sorry, 2015. And we went and saw it and I immediately became enamored. And in February of 2016, we, we um, bought the property without a clear plan. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds like it was meant to be and that you, you know, you definitely have figured it out since as, as you've gone along. So that is, that is quite magical that it happened that way. And to really just be, you know, surrounded by family and friends and working on something together and literally seeing the fruit of your labor come to life through the cider and then realizing, you know what, we can, we can share this with others too. I love that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now, can you share a bit more about the history of the property that you found? What about it made you realize it was the perfect place for you and your vision or what would become your vision? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I didn't quite have the vision. I mean, I, I knew intuitively, um, that it was going to, I love gathering people. I love nurturing people. I love food. Um, we certainly really inspired by my mother, um, and her lifestyle and, and having a bit of feeling a bit of responsibility to learn those skills, to be able to pass those along, um, because they are nuanced and really important. So that was all sort of the fire that was burning in the belly, I guess, and, and driving us forward. Um, but as far as the property goes, um, it is an absolutely stunning piece of land. Um, when we purchased it, it was just the farmhouse and the farm cottage that is there today. Um, but the rest was just a meadow. Um, it's really, truly where farm, field, and forest, you know, converge on on um, the Pemicwood Peninsula in Maine. So as you know, Maine is a series of rocky coastline and peninsula. Um, and we're at the very top of the Pemicwood Peninsula, 
Um, it's about an hour from Portland and uh, without traffic. And when we came and, and, and walked the property, it was just absolutely stunning. Um, you know, the farmhouse and farm cottage, of course, um, but the land itself was really diverse. And we have about a thousand feet on the Madamic River. Um, the Madamic River is a tidal river. Um, it is um, the highest yielding body of water um, in the state for clams, which is sort of a small um, unknown fact, but it has a vibrant a fishing community around us. And I bought the first wedding dress that I tried on. So I am someone who kind of knows and listens to my gut quite quite clearly. And I just knew that it was um, a really, really special spot. So we, um, we, we went for it. Yeah. You didn't have to look back. That's, that's amazing. And yeah. so w- was there anything about it that scared you um, to take on this new adventure? Were there a lot of repairs or renovations or, you know, welcoming your first guests? Was that intimidating to you? Oh goodness. Well, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, it wasn't a big, a big step, of course. So it wasn't um, something that we went into lightly. Um, I do have two, uh, two less small at this point, but when we purchased the farm, I have two boys. So as a working mother, um, you know, the enormity of that and the responsibility of, of all of my roles while also wanting to create and do that, it's, it's a constant balance. And I wouldn't say that I'm, uh, have achieved, uh, any level of, um, uh, you know, I guess any level of uh, expertise in that area, but, um, I would say that the, the property itself had so much potential and we knew that our first goal was to kind of envision what it would take to bring the hospitality piece first. So phase one was to focus on, um, what bringing people to, to the farm events, um, staying there breaking down the barriers for people to spend the night in the woods. That was sort of the first goal. So what is that? What did that need to look like at the outset? Um, we, like I said, we bought it in February of 2016 um, in the middle of a snowstorm. And we sort of dreamed and imagined what it would become um, over the coming months and uh, broke ground for our, um, our first A-frame cabins in January of 2017. And with I don't have a background in any of this. So um, really, I guess, sort of was a little naive, but just that help was helpful and just like, well, we'll break down in January. And of course, we're going to welcome our first guests in June, which we did. Um, we had our first yoga retreat in June of 2017. So that was the first, we didn't have a sign. I'm not sure there were doors in the barn yet. Um but it was um, it was lovely, and it was a huge, huge hustle to get to that point. Um, I mean, we put in roads and underground electric and septic design, and you know all of those sort of things that are behind behind the scenes that one might not think about when dreaming of the aesthetic, you know, front facing decor and what towels we're going to use. It was, I think, at one point during the process, I got a call from one of our um, our our cabin builders. And he said, you know, mud season's here. And I think we're going to need a road. 
And I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And he's like, well, we're either going to pause and wait for it to dry up or we need to put in a road. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't quite think about that. And so, um, again, it, it, you know, a lot of people really map things out and model things out. We just we kind of sort of went for it and um, learned a lot along the way. Well, and that's the best way to do it sometimes, too, because otherwise you will talk yourself out of all the challenges ahead uh, yeah. or not know where to begin. And it's funny having grown up in Maine, being willing to actually take on the Maine winters and the mud season and just figure it out as you go. That's, that's quite, quite amazing. It's all part of it. Yes. <laughs> but we, I do have to say like we had, it was a tremendous crew of people who helped um, get it from that point of clearing the spots in the woods for the cabins and knowing where those needed to go to the point where we were all hustling to get it ready for our first guest. So it was a, uh, an army of folks um, to do, to do that. Oh, that's the best way to build. Yeah. And so in creating the space and in welcoming guests to your farm, what feelings did you want to evoke in them? Uh, What did you want your guests to take away? Yeah, you know, I mean, what what it started as and what it remains today was really to break down those barriers to allow people um, the ease of coming to spend the night in nature. Um, as a mother of young children, we went camping when they were younger and, you know, the whole, um, production of putting up a tent and, you know, putting in so much work just to spend the night in the woods is certainly with young children was always in the back of my mind, um, to allow families, people to just come and arrive as they are. Sometimes people would come um, before we had sort of the culinary offering that we have now. Um, people would come with their coolers and whatever they would want to, to um, enjoy their experience with. But they people could come, our guests could come with literally the clothes on their back, spend the night in the woods and eat out at restaurants if they wanted to, right? So it really is, it was really intended to meet people where they were with their comfort level, whether you're been a backpacker your whole life and just can appreciate how nice it is to come into the, you know, a nice spot in the woods with a bed and a fluffy pillow and a nice white towel. Um, or if, you know, we had many, many people have had many people who have never spent the night in the woods before. Or built a fire. Or, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so, um, so that was really our, our initial goal. And, and you would see, you know, people, I remember this group of women who arrived and, you know, they were coming from the city and their shoulders were up near their ears. And it was just all of that, right? Everything that we bring in our lives, our modern lives to um, that. And by the end of, you know, the end of the weekend, shoulders are relaxed, you know, they've got a piece of straw hanging out of their mouth and just come back from a delicious meal. And you can just see the change in a, in a matter of, you know, days um, with people just taking that time to connect. And that is what drives us forward. Yeah, I'm sure. And so where did the name Topsail Farm come from? Is there any special significance mm-hmm. or story behind that? Absolutely. Yeah. So we, um, we sort of took the reins of this property from a family who had had it for four generations. Um, and in uh, 1936 is when a gentleman named MS Smith um, from Marblehead, Massachusetts, um, purchased the property for his family. And it really was, um, you know, a, a, des- a similar desire to ours of, of finding a spot to reconnect and to gather with 
friends and loved ones. Um, and so Topsail, um, they were a sailing family. So Topsail, the Topsail is a, um, a, a sail, a specific type of sail um, that is used. And not as, as I understand it, I'm not a sailor myself, but um, I was learning this summer. However, it's on my list, um, but um, is sort of not commonly used in modern day sailing, I'm told. But, um, you know, it was during the process of purchasing the farm, it was referred to as Topsail Farm. And and I wasn't quite sure about the name, to be honest. And um, there was one evening I was out in the, the, the gorgeous, the, the barn that's attached to the farmhouse, the original barn, um, just had me at the at the drop. Um, it's just a really beautiful structure with so much history. And so I was spending some time in there and, and I looked up and there was an old flag, hand-stitched, gorgeous flag that said Topsail Farm um, and this beautiful little sailboat um, uh, nailed to the wall. And I just like took my breath away. And at that moment, I realized that, you know, I am, I'm, it's, I'm not taking this and sort of making it all my own. It is Topsail Farm. I'm the steward of it for a bit of time. And it was a huge relief because it's difficult to name things. Um, and so we, we've carried it forth, but that's sort of the story. Some people confuse it with Topsoil, which obviously has, you know, relevance with what we're doing, but it is a sailing term. I can see that. So I, I did not know the history of it and it's beautiful. And I think that's part of the fun of having these conversations is you actually can ask those questions and learn the history of it and how you are stewarding what has been there for so many generations before you and paying homage to that. So that's, that's very special. Hello, worldly travelers and loyal listeners. Do you know of places and people we can stay in good company with? Are you yourself a host looking to share your story and welcome in good company? We're always looking for new places to travel, new people to meet. Share who you know and where they are by sending us a note at stayinggoodcompany.com or by mentioning us on our social media channels at Stay in Good Company. We'll be sure to give you a shout out when we're there. So it's time for us to take a trip to Topsail Farm as it stands today. Paint us a picture of your 83 acres in Maine, from the glamping campground to the quintessential cottage, the newly renovated farmhouse to the intimate event barn, the riverside yurt to the stocked camp store. There are inspired spaces every which way we turn. Can you share more? Of course. Wow, that's quite a list. I guess we do have quite a bit going on. You've built more than just that farmhouse. <laughs> You've been working hard the past few years. <laughs> I'm tired of thinking about it. Yeah, well, I've talked a little bit about the land. Um, so let's talk about the farmhouse for a second, because it is at the heart of the property. And um, we did uh, we we did undergo a good amount of renovation for it in some ways, but in other ways, we really made sure to just leave so much as is. It was in wonderful shape. The previous family had taken really, really great care of it. So when you take on a property like that, you never really know what could be under all the dusty corners and, and, um, and uh, we were lucky in that sense. We did, it began with needing a new roof. So we, um, you know, kind of had to think through, well, if we're ripping off the roof, do we need to put in dormers and what else do we need to do? Um, so we, we did kind of go through and found a wonderful builder who helped us um, uh, with that journey. But the farmhouse was at first um, a spot where we went and spent a good amount of time during our seasons. We've never actually lived there 
um, on property ourselves. Um, so it's always been a space uh, with the business in mind and we've come and, and tried to grab as much time there as we can. Um, but um, now it's fully the farmhouse, um, which is, um, like I said, it's really at the center of the property. Um, we redid the kitchen, so it's perfect for gathering. Um, and just it's it's just a it's simple. It is not overdone at all, and it's really um, a space that we are so happy to share with people. Um, we rent it all year long, and it is a big part of the private events that we um, that we offer at the farm. There's an adorable little red cottage that's next to it. Um, so those are the two uh, sort of original lodging spots on the farm. Um, but the 83 acres, like I mentioned before, is really diverse. Um, on one side of the property is the river. We have animals, which I know we'll get to chat about. Um, we're building our footprint of our gardens um, to support our our own family's food supply and um, are, you know, weaving that into our culinary events. Um, and then, um, of course, the, the campground lodging. Um, we have 11 cabins on the other side of the property. Um, and, you know, once people come and park, um, you really can stay there for a bit and um, walk around, you know, from a hiking trail standpoint, they're um, from the farmhouse down to the water where our yurt location is. It's about 15 minute hike. Um, so that's enough for some, um, and really, really beautiful and peaceful. When I was originally planning to do the cabins, I thought maybe they would be on the riverside, but it's a really, it's a nice destination. It is now where we have our sort of off the grid, um, culinary event space down at the water. So we offer, um, events where people have to hike to dinner. Um, so that is, uh, it's a really special sacred spot down there. Um, so between um, the, the lodging, which I've mentioned, our event barn space, which is a new um, space that we constructed, um, that is where a lot of our larger events happen, where our commercial kitchen, our color culinary team um, work and play each day. So um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot. Absolutely. And it sounds like it's so intentional and in where you've placed everything and the journey mm -hmm. to and from each location uh, serves a purpose as well in the story. And so can you share a bit more about some of the daily activities guests can participate in? Do you personally have any favorites um, if you were to choose your own adventure? Yeah. The one thing that I would say, especially over the last couple of years that we've all been emerging from the experience that we've shared is um, certainly when I'm, I'm guiding people who are hosting private events here is that um, some of the beauty is just sitting around a fire and connecting with people and not feeling like you have to um, create a big itinerary of events um, and really just sort of relish and maybe what you really need to do today is take a nap in a hammock or, you know, um, read a book next to the sheep. So, you know, I think instead of um, sort of creating events all the time that are just bringing more of what we're all looking to escape a little bit um, and trying to help people um, be a little bit more intentional about pausing. That is something that we think about um, when we think about what we offer. With that said, um, aside from, so on property, 
the hiking that I've mentioned. Um, we have canoes by the river. It is a tidal river, so you have to be a little uh, thoughtful about when you decide to put the canoe in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have those there for guests to just take, um, you know, as as needed. But we are um, located in such a magical spot in Maine. So I would say in large part, when people come to visit us, um, their stay at Topsail is really focused on the culinary events in the evenings and the lodging, um, and then use our spot as a jumping off point to explore um, the mid coast. So within about 25 to 30 minutes, we have towns like Camden and Rockland and Rockport and Damerscotta, which are all so fascinating. And every single little peninsula that you can see when you look at the map of Maine, just taking a right and, you know, driving down one, um, you'll never know what you can find, what adventures to, you know, to explore. So hiking, oyster farms, eating opportunities, um, just sitting at the ocean. Um, there's a, a beautiful sandy beach called Pemicwood Beach, which is 30 minutes from the farm. And when Josh and I were first exploring the area ourselves, like because like I said, I grew up really close to the farm and had not spent a lot of time down the Pemiquid Peninsula. So as someone who's lived here, it's, it's an adventure for us to get to know as well. And so we were sitting on this white sandy beach near our farm and I'm like, wait a second, this is not what you think about from Maine. Of course, they, this is not naturally occurring. And of course it is naturally occurring. <laughs> so there's so much to explore. I mean, we sort of try to do a really good job about directing our guests off the Route 1 corridor, which is everyone kind of knows there and there are wonderful things to see. But what happens when you go inland a bit? Um, what happens when you just take that right down the road and, and see what um, what lovely little farm exists or um, winery that's opened up or brewery that's, you know, that's has taken taken place. So and there's a lot happening in the Midcoast. I think everyone thinks of Maine and they automatically go to Portland, which is so lovely. And there's so much to celebrate down there. But I, I'm really so enamored with our area in the world and sort of the energy and the creativity that is, um, that is burgeoning around us. Wow, absolutely sounds like it. And I think it's so fascinating, too, that you can take all these little day trips and then, to your point, come back and have that gathering moment around the fire with your culinary dinners, um, which we'll get to. Um, but it's a, a great chance for people to then share their stories and what they did and to refer, uh, you know, different options uh, for the next day. So that's that's really special, too. Now, you mentioned some sheep, and we cannot forget to mention some of the other Topsail Farm residents. I believe you have chickens, goats, sheep, and beehives. So what should guests get to know about these characters? Like I mentioned a little bit ago, um, phase one for us was to really focus on the lodging and hospitality um, sort of operations because that we, you know, like I mentioned, I have no background in it. So Mm -hmm. it was really making sure that before we expanded with anything really farm related, that we made sure our feet were underneath us as far as that goes. And that has taken us about five to six years. So it is um, really focusing and prioritizing that. Um, As someone who grew up on a farm, and I didn't go on an airplane until I was 18, because, you know, six children, and I can't even remember all the animals that we had growing up, it was not an easy operation to leave. And um, that is, you know, as soon as you bring one chicken into 
the ecosystem of an operation like that, it's a huge responsibility. And um, I really was eyes wide open as far as that went. And so we've just slowly, slowly, slowly been um, moving in that direction. Um, My mom, like I said, lives about 25 minutes from the farm on her own homestead. She lives on 50 acres of blueberry fields um, and has a, a lot of animals. And what she doesn't have a lot of is pasture, Right. So in the summer, when we first started, um, her animals, would some of her animals would come down in summer at Topsail Farm, which was lovely for us. And, um, you know, I think they really loved it. And it was actually really helpful for her to be able to have that. So that was sort of how we began. Um, this year is the first time um, we're raising our own sheep. Um, that will um, become charcuterie on our charcuterie boards. Um at Topsail, so that's a really big step for me. It was the first time I bought my own animals um, yes. and, um, you know, have uh, the plan and processing in place to get it to the point where um, it will be on a plate at Topsail Farm. So it's really just um, learning and sort of understanding. Um, we, like I said, I don't live at the farm itself. So organizing our team around the daily care of it, making sure that, they're safe and, you know, um, eyes on the animals every single day. So it's, it's not um, a small step for us at all. Um, but it's something that we're really, um, we're really committed to and just really taking our time to, to understand, um, what we can do responsibly. And, um, they're adorable. Um, and on the, the, we have, um, five of the sheep, um, this year, they were born in Bar Harbor. Um, they're Romney, um, Romney lambs, which are known for both their wool and their meat. And um, it's been really fun to have them around. And they mostly behave during our wedding events. So, oh, good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they'd be a welcomed interruption. If if not, it would be a good, uh, <laughs> a funny moment for everyone. But I, well, and that's the thing is so many people in their day-to-day lives don't get to be up close and personal with animals like this and to see the intentionality and the care that you put into them and to allow your guests to to do the same, uh, is really special. So that's, that's really fun. Yeah. Baby steps. (laughs) Yes. And so can you share more about your property takeovers? You mentioned weddings. So if guests are looking together for weddings, retreats, reunions, offsites galore, (laughs) what makes Topsail Farm the perfect host? So for our wedding events, for example, um, we we do about two a month um, is sort of our 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 number. Um, we love weddings and we love being the place where couples can gather their loved ones. There are so many beautiful barn venues in Maine, um, but I think really what sets us apart is sort of the lodging component and that it can be um, a two to three day experience for people to come together versus a uh, uh, isolated, you know, event here or there where people are coming and going. So, um, uh, sort of an image I have in my mind um, that that sort of I think reflects what we are and what we offer is is seeing you know, blended groups come together. Um, And it might be the bride's best friend from kindergarten with her aunt or some other walking down the camp road together after breakfast. Um, And and just having it's those little moments in between versus like all the 
um, lead to the big celebrations that I think really allow for this really magical experience to happen, whether it's a wedding event or a family reunion or even a corporate group um, coming to spend um, a couple of days in the farm. So, um, so that part of it, but we really are kind of a one-stop shop. So I think because we have a wonderful culinary team um, and pour ourselves into food, I could spend an entire podcast talking about food as our love language, which I'm happy to do. Um, but our beverage program and the intentional um, nature of creating cocktails with flavors like rhubarb and cider and blueberry, things that really reflect us. And um, I kind of um, have a hand in, in sort of creating a lot of those ingredients for our, our beverage um, expression. But, um, you know, the, the one-stop shop nature of Topsil is really, we just say, just get here. And we have everything on the farm um, that, that couples can choose to utilize or not, um, which really takes the pressure off. We really believe in joyful event planning. And as much as I love the, um, the farm and the locations and the lodging and the aesthetics, um, we're really even focusing on sort of the process by which we get there with our um, hosts, you know, leading up to it. And um, that that sort of piece and, you know, my business background, um, really trying to from the very first call that we have with our hosts to the farewell, um, you know, after the big weekend. And we want the whole thing to be joyful mm-hmm. and amazing. And um, certainly we have some very high production value weddings at the farm with things being brought in. And that is great. Like the high glam and glitz in the middle of a farm is absolutely fine. But we all have a lot of couples, and I think we attract a lot of couples who want um, to gather with their loved ones, have some really good food, you know, sit around the fire, have some whiskey, and have a ceremony in there at some point. And so, um, you know, I think we we can kind of meet you where you are, and it's really a blank slate. So, yeah, so I think that's, I think, and we do um, elopements. We've, prior to COVID, um, launched an elopement and sort of mini wedding um, offering that has been really popular. And I think that over the last couple of years, we're seeing trends with um, couples who are just kind of doing what they want. And uh, we love to be a space where that can happen. Absolutely. Well, and, and going through the process myself, it's you realize how much money you spend and how much time and investment goes into wedding planning. And I think, or even just with reunions and offsites and things like that. Uh, but to be able to take a few days to slow down and to actually appreciate that. And yes, I'm sure your team is phenomenal at, you know, putting out fires in the, in the background and, <laughs> you know, making everything look picture perfect to the guests. Um, I'm sure it's not, not easy work on your end, but allowing people to come and to enjoy a few days and to slow down and to really pause at each one of those moments and not all of a sudden have a quick ceremony and in a blink of an eye, it's gone. So that's really special that you're able to do all of that in one place and allow and provide a space where people can get to know one another on a deeper level. Yeah. And like we, we, we um, have a lot of different um, uses of the farm in addition to weddings, um, yoga retreats. We've had a comedy writers retreat at the farm before. And again, it's, it's allowing that 
host that retreat leader to do what they do best and to allow us to sort of welcome and provide the structure so that they can just slide in with their own programming to do, Mm -hmm. you know, to bring what it is that they're looking to share. That's actually a great segue into the your own retreats that you lead. I know you have family overnights, you have petite pause, which is a wellness moment for women, flow on the farm, which is an immersive experience for men. So what inspired you to curate these gatherings? And if you could share more about some of your favorite moments through those retreats. Yeah, of course. Well, again, um, we are, I love just having a lot of different textured experiences at the farm. Um, And Weddings, while we love them, do um, do have a certain impact on the team and the property itself. And so we kind of have this nice cadence of sort of um, crescendo and then for, you know, everything to come down. And and so um, it's really we love being a spot for it's around groups of like 25 to 30 who can come and um, take about, you know, 48 hours and take a breath. Um, petite pause is really um I'm really an expression of my own personal journey. Um, I read a book this past winter called Pause, You Are Not a To-Do List. And I guess um, I can say it It really resonated. It's a, it's a little book. Um, I underlined, I think, the entire thing. And sort of what I realized is that in, you know, a, a serial entrepreneur and someone who loves um, being creative and doing all this stuff, my work is to stop. And to understand how to do that. And and when you've built businesses and it's required a certain muscle to do that, that becomes ingrained after a certain point, it, it isn't so easy to do. And I've just acknowledged that that needs to be something in order for me to do this for as long. I want to, you know, I love what I do and want to do it for a long time. It needs to be balanced. And um, it's interesting. So I mentioned my mom, who's the homesteader, the farmer, um, who's inspiration. My my dad is actually an ordained Buddhist and um, I have other lessons to learn from him. And so I have these two wonderful humans in my life who have very different lessons to teach me. And I've realized that I've poured a lot of energy into that doing part of myself and that sort of where I am now is um, kind of needing to focus on this other part. And so after reading that book, in true Sarah fashion, what did I do? I'm like, I need, this needs to be a thing that I share with other people. You create another to-do list. <laughs> right? Okay. So we see that the problem is. Um, but no, in, in true, in truth, um, Topsil really is a, an expression of mine. And I, you know, I'm, I am learning how to share my love of making charcuterie and, you know, doing, bringing this property to life while also being really honest and transparent that, it's a lot and um, we need to stop. And so last spring, so it's the book as it sort of inspired me to do, it's important to pause with the seasons. And so um, each season we're sort of creating some time on the farm for women to come and pause with me. Um, and it's not a weekend of a full list of itinerary running from one thing to another. Um, I've kind of tuned the dial, you know, turned the dials and tweaked it a bit to understand the right balance of offering to delicious, spacious time for people to just come and be. And so this is, we're just getting started with that. Um, We've done three of them so far. Um, And, 
you know, it's been really successful. So I'm just, I'm, I'm delighted to continue to, to offer that, um, uh, in this coming year again, and, um, just creating more spaces on our calendar for that to happen. It feels more important than ever, to be honest, for both myself and I think globally. Yes. Well, and as you mentioned, you know, when you're always thinking about what's next and how can I add and do more, it is important to pause and to reflect back on, you know, where have I come from and to celebrate that, uh, with the people around you. So I think that, that you are perfectly blending your, your advice from your mother and father, um, and in creating intentionally what you are at Topsail Farm. That's a very, very special story that you can see quite clearly. And then of course we have to get into the culinary side of Topsail Farm. So hope you're not too hungry, but if we were to dine in good company with Topsail Farm at your sensational seasonal suppers, can you give us a taste of what we can expect? Yeah. So um, from the beginning, um, you know, prior to having sort of a full culinary team that we have today, um, my my previous work, and, and I mentioned my first cooking class when I was five, um, food has always been really, really important to me. And um my entire life I've sort of been gathering people around the table. And so um, while I didn't know a lot about what Topsail Farm was going to become, I did know that gathering of, of people around my table there and um, celebrating all that is nuanced about Maine cuisine was going to be a big part of it. Of course, I didn't know the shape, but um, that was that was always a, a very clear um part of our our goal and so we have um i think since kind of from the beginning we've, we've just kicked things off with these different meals that have um really been a collection of experiences that i've had in my life through my own travels so starting in the winter um we offer it's called winter raclette um raclette if, for those who don't know um is a specific type of cheese um, it is um, from uh, France and Switzerland, and I've had that experience when my husband and I were uh, visiting Switzerland in um, the middle of the winter many years ago, and we went to this um, restaurant called Forest Hut. It was in Wengen, Switzerland, and there was a little sign nailed to a tree with a arrow pointing that led us for a 20-minute hike in the dark woods of the Alps. Um, to the point where we weren't sure we were on the right path and we stumbled upon this cabin and it was um, a roaring fire. The chef came out with a headlamp and strangely an yellow bean hat on his head. And um, I experienced my first um, winter raclette experience in that cabin and it was the my most favorite meal to date. Um, and I thought to myself, um, it was, you know, it's, it's cheese and you eat it with potatoes and charcuterie and fermented pickles and mustards and, um, baguette. And it's just this inner, somewhat like fondue when you think of the interactive nature to it, but it's, it's really simple. Um, and we are located 20 minutes from, um, European deli in Waldoro called Morse's sauerkraut. And they, it's amazing that they are so close to our farm. And it's an incredible spot for anyone who comes to visit us at some point. You have to go to Morse's. Um, but anyway, we thought, wow, this is amazing. Morse's gets raclette. Like, we're, let's do this. So we do a series of winter raclette meals each year. Kind of, um, a lot of Maine will shut down in the winter. And it's been really important to us to maintain 
community and vibrancy um, for our for our spot here in Maine. Um, long after the the hot summer days and and you know clogged um, traffic, um, you know, and and we feel like we're really building um, community around our spot with this meal, and it's really fun and festive, and um, so we do that all winter. Um, next up is um, our sugar shack supper um, to celebrate Maine maple. Um, so, and, and the fifth season in Maine is mud season for those who don't know about that. Um, and that really is like a, Hey, we survived winter. Let's throw up in the doors. Let's get outside regardless of, of the temperatures and just gather, um, outside again. And, um, so our sugar shack supper is sort of a celebration of the Maine maple syrup as the ingredient. So that's centered, uh, central to the menu and the expression, um, very humble food, um, the menu changes every year, but it's it's sort of um, a nod to sort of the sugar shack suppers um, that um, ha- you know happen um, in Canada and in the Northeast. Um, in the summer, we do our river dinner, uh, which is a celebration of sort of the vibrant fishing community that I was talking to you about earlier. Um, and so it's not really a lobster bake per se, um, but it really is sort of a seafood focus. Of, that is the one meal that we have now that is down at our Riverside Yurt location. So folks have to hike um, to get to um, the location on the river. And it's just casual, um, you know, just a real focus on the seafood and, and everything that comes from Maine, Maine's waters. And it's just really, really fun. Although we do have oysters at every, every one of these meals that I'm talking to you about. Um, and our last meal in the fall um, is our wild game dinner. So um, in 2017, which is the year that we opened, um, the, the main state warden put out a memorandum that um, wild game dinners were allowed to happen um, with a certain um, few sort of um, protocols. Um, we work with a lot of really lovely um, main guides um, who are um, carrying on this long-held tradition here in the state of hunting and fishing. And that's really something we're hoping to bring forward um, with this feel for people who maybe have never had bear or moose or venison, um, wild hare, of course, wild turkey. Um, So that that meal is, you know, a a real important one um, for us to sort of celebrate um, the the hunting and fishing tradition here in the state. And so then we're back to winter again. So each of these have grown since we've started. Um, but they are, um, each, each one of them is really unique and then truly an expression of the season here in Maine that we love to share. Absolutely. You can see how different each season is and what you should look to celebrate about each. And so is there, what is it about the local sourcing, the slow cooking and the seasonal eating, um, that inspired these suppers? Do you have signature recipes that you're willing to share? Oh goodness. Well, they, they, they're never the same, you know, so with each one, um, we try not to veer for the raclette, for example, that's a pretty standard meal. We make our own dilly beans, for example, for those. So the cornichon, um, which is traditional for that meal, we, we, um, have, but we also throw in dilly beans, which are sort of a a fermented, 
um, pretty traditional Maine um, item that, you know, really reflects us of grown up eating dilly beans. And, um, you know, so we kind of throw little bits of ourselves in there. Um, maple syrup is the, is the, is the key ingredient and um, for the sugar shack, of course, and that's just woven in to, to each of the menus, but we, we don't want people, we have guests who come to all meals and then come back again and again. And so we never want it to be the same, right. With each, with each time. Um, so I wouldn't say that we have any recipes that are tried and true and um, would be, you know, each time you'd expect that. Oh, I guess with the exception of one of my favorite things that um, Cody, who owns Morse's Sauerkraut, um, when she um, was helping us with our first winter raclette was this uh, fermented garlic honey that she um, created and we've done ever since. So, so simple. You get um, the unpasteurized honey, get the whole um, garlic cloves, throw the garlic in a canning jar, cover it with the um, unpasteurized honey, put a lid on it, but you have to remember to burp the lid every couple of days because um, it starts to ferment right away. And so in about 30 days, um, if you can wait that long, you've got this delicious, delicious condiment um, that I don't think there's anything better to pair with raclette cheese than that. Um, but that that was one of my favorite things that I've learned over there. And it's so simple to do. And so at every meal, um, when people are exclaiming, like, what is this? This tastes so amazing. I'm like, you have to do it at home. This is how you do it. So I'm happy to, to share that with you today. Yes, that that is, I absolutely love garlic in everything. <laughs> and yeah. it definitely replaces the craze for hot honey right now. I can, I can see this being the next big thing, but, uh, we'll keep it our little secret on our, for our podcast listeners here. <laughs> <laughs> now, what, um, do you have a favorite season in Walterboro, Maine? And why is that? Oh, that's such a tough question. I'm sure. Um, yeah. You know, I, like I mentioned earlier, I did live in other parts of this great country um, where the seasons were not as pronounced and moving back here um, has, it's, it's made me realize like I am so connected to the, to the, the different seasons here in Maine. Um, you know, running and owning a hospitality business um, gives a certain excitement and, um I don't want to say pressure, but just there's an energy to summer here in Maine that is palpable. You know, everyone feels it, whether you're working in hospitality or a visitor, it's just, there's just this desire to soak it all up and um, to, to really sort of do it up. And I, you know, I don't think there's a better place in August than, you know, in, in Maine. But with that said, the juxtaposition to what winter feels like here, um, you know, people are surprised when they hear that I love winter in Maine, and I really, really do. And um, there's, there's something about that cadence of kind of going inward and slowing down that I don't know if it's shared with people who don't work in hospitality, but just kind of getting quiet and um, kind of having the season sort of dictate that and sort of sort of a bit of renewal um, as maybe in my older age becoming something that I'm appreciating a lot more. Um, so yeah, I would, you know, there's summer and winter or both, but I, I, I absolutely and now I'm leaving out spring and fall. Well, in that transition too, I'm sure that's a difficult question, but you've obviously 
grown to appreciate and experience the best of each season, which is something that, again, can bring guests coming back for something different each time. Yeah, they're just so unique. And each one provides, um, certainly from a farming perspective, each one holds um, a, a different reason, right? And um, so, yeah, they're all great. It's hard. It's hard to pick on. <laughs> there. Now, I'm sure I speak for both myself and our listeners in wanting to know what the future holds for you, your family, and your future guests at Topsail Farm. What is one thing you wish your guests knew about you, your family, or your home? Oh, what a good question. Um, Well, I sort of mentioned that we're just starting to kind of ease into phase two of Topsail Farm, which is really kind of putting the farm in Topsail Farm. And um, we get asked, like, what do you farm there? And it's just been a funny question because it's always been something that we knew was going to evolve slowly over time. Um, but I'm very eager um, to get my own hands in the dirt a bit more um, over the coming seasons now that we sort of have our feet underneath us from the sort of culinary and, and event and hospitality end of things and to really start to balance out that work that, that it's taken to get sort of reconnected with the land a bit more. So um, this past summer, I was able to get into the, if I could have any job at Topsail Farm, it would just be a full-time gardener. Um, But uh, that will be, that will come in time. Um, I'm really eager to learn more about um, sort of that, you know, growing food for my family and really kind of um, attaining a bit of a mastery of that right now. I'm just kind of learning from my mom and learning from um, just the doing and trying and failing and understanding sort of how that all works. But um, really sort of just connecting myself to the land a bit more. Um, I'm really giving a lot of thought to that right now and hope to be someone who's uh, seen in the garden a little bit more than this, you know, behind my computer. Um, and so uh, the other piece to it is um, my husband's cider making. So Josh, um, each year we make um, a hard cider from the apples. We have about uh, seven really mature um, apple trees that we produce. We produce about 60 cases of hard cider each year. Um, but right away when we bought the property in um, 2016, I think it was 2017, we we put, started putting in new apple trees, um, heritage uh, varietals specifically for cider making. And those um, will be coming really into, they're about four years old at this point in time. Um, if I'm doing my math correctly, four or five years old. Um, and in about three years, they're really going to be producing, you know, some apples. And I've turned to him and said, well, what's the plan here? Because we need to, we need to sort ourselves out. Um, so really, when we think of the farm and Topsail Farm, it really is about our cider production and future cider production. Um, right now, we can just give it away. We just we don't have our cidery license, um, but that's really a big part of what our future plans hold is um, sort of understanding um, how the cider becomes a, a larger part of our ecosystem. It sounds absolutely delicious. I can't wait to go and taste some myself. Now, do you have any advice for your guests and our listeners on how to incorporate this slow lifestyle into their own day-to-day lives at home? I love that question. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think 
Again, I am, you know, taking myself outside of Topsail. I'm a working mom. I have a lot of interests. Um, and, you know, it's there aren't enough hours in the day to sort of uh, provide space for everything that I want to do and everything I'm curious about. Um, but I think, you know, something that Josh and I um, try to do is sort of pick one thing that is interesting to us that sort of... Um, is intriguing for us to want to learn and try to see um, about bringing into our lives. So, um, and just taking a baby step to that and prioritizing that um, wherever you are, you know, so, um, you know, whether it's um, making soap or fermenting garlic honey or making your own jam or whatever it is, those are the things that are interesting and of interest to me. But really, I think, um, part of what I think Topsail can do for folks is when coming here is giving you the space to pause, right? And to give some time to think about what are those things that really drive you and are interesting to you and think about um, how you can you can create some space to do that. Um, when we were earlier in our journey, um, I would be posting pictures of myself foraging or making jam or, you know, on our social channels and people would expect that to be available. You're like, oh, well, when can I sign up for foraging? You know, when I come to visit and I had to sadly tell people we don't have a full-time forager on staff. Um, these are the things that I'm doing because I'm trying to learn those myself. But what is it that makes you curious? So when you stop, and take a little bit of time out of your crazy, hectic life, um, what what things do you want to pursue? And so I think what we offer here at Topsail is that space to stop and necessarily not giving out guidebooks to people on like how to, you know, pursue this or that. It's really just that space to think about um, what's, what's in your life that you want to pursue and how might you prioritize that a little bit more. But it's it's really just carving out the time. Yeah. And the, and the continued learning too is, is so important, uh, just to, to try new things. You'd never know you like my fiance and I are on a sourdough kick right now. And that is a very slow, uh, grueling process, but it's so well worth it in the end, uh, once you're able to, to figure it out. But I completely agree. Just the, the continued learning and the intentionality and the slowness, uh, of life is, is so important now more than ever. Yeah. I mean, I, I was making jam many years ago and emailing at the same time and getting kids dinner and, you know, all of that stuff. And it was like, no, you need to, with some of these tasks, the, the, the joy of being singularly focused on one thing and, and carving out the time for that thing versus trying to do it all, you know, that's really been sort of my, um, my sort of, uh, evolution, I guess, is it's, it's not about doing 20 things. It's just like stopping and finding that one thing that's going to give you a little bit of joy that day or week actually watching the pot boil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hello, worldly travelers and loyal listeners. Are you too planning your upcoming travels and in search of independently owned and operated stays and experiences to visit along the way? Head on over to stayinggoodcompany.com or our social media channels at stayinggoodcompany and drop us a note with where you're going and when and we'll be sure to set you up in good company for your trip. 
Just don't be surprised if we hide away in your suitcase and join you in your journeys. So now that we know what it's like to stay in good company at Topsail Farm, we've learned and grown in good company with Sarah Pike, and thus we have a few final questions, what I like to call tip-of-the-tongue table topics. So some quick ones. Who would be a dream personality or brand you'd like to collaborate on an event or retreat with? Oh my goodness. Um, I mean, it's so- Because I'm sure they're listening. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, I've recently been, um, reading a Jonathan Fields book, um, the, like the good life project. Um, and I think, you know, again, it's not about Topsail having the answers. It's about just like exploring what, um, what people will find in their own lives to live a good life. So I think there's a lot of resonance with his message. Um, so that would be, that would be a fun one. Perfect. Do you have a horror guest or a favorite guest story you'd like to share? Did you say horror? Horror. <laughs> Was someone a terrible guest? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, no, we've never had terrible guests, but Good. I just think like in the beginning, we used to have the term um, glamorous and luxury on our website. And I learned that people really enter those terms in very with very different reference points. So we've learned to really take that off um, our, our, um, our site and to be a little bit more, um, you know, just very objective and clarify what it is that we have. And so we've had a lot of people roll in with roller suitcases and expecting air conditioning and private bathrooms and Wi-Fi and fire butlers. And that is, um, there's such a range of experiences with glamping these days. Um, We're more proudly on the sort of camping end of things. And so just have done a better job articulating just that over the past couple of years. Yes, not as many uh, wide-eyed people headed your way, hopefully, you know, providing that more grounded experience. uh, Exactly. You you can't be something for everyone. So that's that's totally fair. You're learning. (laughs) Now, do you have a most embarrassing story that took place in front of a guest? Oh, goodness. I mean, we, I, I cannot underestimate um, or understate the, uh, the fact that we really have had no background in this. And mm-hmm. um, we were really just kind of bootstrapping it when we first started. We didn't have a sign that said Topsail Farm. It was like, oh, we're just like a speakeasy. Take a right at the flagpole business and, you know, pull into this like, random dirt road. Um, and totally so, safe. Uh, yeah, really, really. So, um, you know, I think in the beginning it was sort of getting our operations down with like understanding when guests were coming and, <laughs> and kind of keeping that all straight. Um, and so I think there were a few kerfuffles when we first, nothing that ended up with, um, anything terrible, but just more, um, learning lessons on how, again, like I've mentioned, those operations for mm-hmm. all the, it's a simple, it seems simple, but there are a lot of moving parts that have had to be built behind the scenes. And so um, I just laugh at some of the near misses that we had when we first started, but I can imagine um, nothing major. <laughs> right. Good. And do you have an unsung hero on your team that you'd like to raise a glass to now? Whoa, that is, that is, that is a Hard big one. one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I would have to say my husband, Josh, I mean, he's sort of the guy behind the scenes. Um, a lot of people don't, um, don't see him often, but it is, it's been a lot to accomplish all of this in six years and um, to have that support um, sort of behind the scenes. Um, we, he wants nothing more than to be a farmer at, at Topsail Farm and we're, we're, 
finding that path. But um, I, you know, this, it's been a Herculean effort um, across um, many, many people, but our team at the farm um, from the sleep operations and our housekeeping to our culinary team and events team um, to just taking care of the 83 acres. Um, it is massive amounts of work. And so um, I am, I'm simply one, you know, one person um, sort of trying to, to pull everyone along, but it, it's, 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 um, we're, we're all in it because we really care about sharing this property and this space with people so that um, they can come and just relax those shoulders, like we mentioned. And, um, you know, this, that journey of that process that I talked about, um, you know, it's the experiences are great, but it's how that we get there as a team is something certainly in the ever-changing hospitality culture, um, really making sure that um, our team kind of is, is feeling connected and, and um, having, having some fun along the way. Absolutely. And if you need to escape from your team, where is your favorite spot to sneak away to on your property? Um, I love um, my favorite day, to be honest, is um, taking a drive down the Pemaquid Peninsula. So starting at our farm, uh, if I'm just on the farm, I'm walking down to our yurt space. Um, it is, it's a quick 15 minute hike, but it um, is something when we were living there during the, the lockdown and the global pandemic, I walked it every single day and it is a heart pumper coming up for sure. <laughs> um, we do um, gain a little bit of elevation. So that is, it's just a magical spot. Um, but if I have a little bit more time um, driving uh, down um, Route 32 into a little town called Round Pond and then into to Pemaquid and then coming up the other side of the peninsula into Damariscotta and stopping for some oysters um, along the way, it is there's no more magical a day in Maine than doing that. So anytime I can get my feet in the sand at, at Pemaquid Beach and kind of have that day for myself, I uh, it's, a, it's a good day for sure. Absolutely. Sounds like it. And last, do you have a quote about nature that resonates with what you're creating at Topsail Farm? Oh my goodness. Um, I, I love so many of John Muir's um, uh, quotes and um, I will fail to, to repeat it right now. Um, but I think it's something along the lines of um, in nature, what is it like one receive more, receives more than they seek or whatever it is. I just butchered that, but um there, um, I'm just inspired by the the property itself. Um, there is poetry all around us um, here at the farm, and it really is just taking um, a moment to stop and to to see that in action. Um, so I think sort of being more connected to the land and seeing these seasons that have spoken so um clearly about um in our time together today and just being bearing witness to that um that is that is the beauty right there beautifully put all right and to not overstay our welcome i want to wrap up our conversation by asking if our listeners haven't already done so during this episode where can they go to learn more about hosting an event or attending one of your seasonal suppers or getaways at topsail farm well, that's easy. Um, our website, of course, um, but I will spell out Topsail because that is a lot of people get that <laughs> get that wrong. So it's um, Topsail is T O P is in Paul, S is in Sam, L is in Larry Farm. Um, so our website has all of our um, all of our information, and of course our 
our social channels as well. Um, we really try to do a little bit of storytelling there and keep people up to date. Um, we do for any of our um, experiences on the farm, we do um, offer those first to those on our newsletter list. Um, newsletter is a little... Um, has a little bit of a, um, I don't actually have a newsletter. I just drop, I drop the tickets there, but our newsletter is where we um, sort of offer those spots to that community first. And then we, um, then we launch those to the larger, the larger world and on our website. So joining our newsletter is um, a, a great way to be sort of first, um, first access to all the things that are happening. Perfect. I'll be sure to link there and Again, remember, it's not topsoil, it's topsoil farm. <laughs> topsoil farm, that's right. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Sarah, and for giving us a sweet taste of what Maine Life Simplified can be. Cheers. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Molly. Thank you for listening along. I hope you found yourself to be in good company. I know I did. Be sure to rate and review, invite your friends along, and find out more ways to stay in good company in the show notes below. Until next time. Remember to slow down and to savor the company you're in. Cheers, my friends.